0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to episode 225 of District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Thanks for tuning to the podcast and hope everyone had a lovely, safe Halloween weekend. I got to do some warming up for trout fishing and I caught a bluegill sunfish and was joined by some friends, new friends on this adventure at Lake Cook in Alexandria. And if you live in an urban area, we, especially here in Virginia, have a lot of trout stockings close to cities. And this is a great little spot close to my house where I live in the Alexandria Fairfax County region. So I figured we'd do some testing there and see our luck and all of us got fish, which was great. And then Hopefully in the coming days, we will see urban spots stocked with trout all over Virginia. They have been stocking different rivers and lakes with trout, and that's a great robust program made possible because of the excise taxes we pay through licenses. So buying a license goes back to these trout stocking programs. So, I encourage you to do that. That's one thing I want to urge you. And if you still have not voted in Virginia's gubernatorial election, like I have, I voted early because I am in Texas today for the next few days to give a talk at University of Texas, San Antonio. Be sure to vote during election day tomorrow. And I encourage you to vote for Yunkin and the Republican ticket, as I laid out last week go learn about the different positions between McAuliffe and Yunkin. And it's pretty clear, even with some murky details, who is the better pick of the two for true conservationists here in Virginia. Normally I don't try to weigh in and give my personal opinion on election stuff, but this is a very critical election will determine the future of Virginia. And I think our sporting heritage will be under attack if McAuliffe were to get a second term And we would have an erosion of gun rights, and we would pursue a preservationist energy and environmental path, I think, going forward. So it's pretty clear on these conservation issues that Youngkin and his ticket are the better pick of the two, but that's my opinion of it. But I will talk about my forthcoming talk at UT San Antonio, the Gray Wolf delisting update in Wisconsin and a really cool story from our friends at Go Wild about them winning an auction to name a new crayfish in Kentucky. So listen for these stories. Today, I chart off to San Antonio, Texas to give a talk at University of Texas, San Antonio. I'm really excited to be giving a speech in person. I've done a lot of remote speeches and lectures recently, but it's good to finally go back out into real spaces and to meet and interact with people, and this is a topic I'm super excited for. I'm giving a talk at the Young Americans for Freedom General meeting on campus, which is a conservative group to talk about the intersection of guns and the environment, I believe the event is only open to students, so I will do my best to bring some pictures. I don't know if we'll be able to record some of my remarks, but I'm going to be largely talking about, if you guys want to preview as to what I'll be talking about, and you can infer from the pictures, hopefully, that I followed through with talking about this, but they had asked me, this group, to speak about the intersection of guns and the environment, and there's actually a connection, although the Second Amendment does not guarantee your right to hunt, and there are separate right to hunt and fish amendments, which enshrine individual states' ability to guarantee their residents the right to hunt fish, which we have here in Virginia, and I think 20 some odd other states, as I talked about before. Uh, But the Second Amendment, like I said, does not guarantee hunting, and the Second Amendment is not about hunting. But there is a connection made possible by guns and ammunition because of a law called the Pittman-Robertson Act of 1937, which I've gone into detail for here on the podcast and in many of my musings whenever I've done a lot of reporting on this issue with people I've brought onto the podcast, things of that sort. And that law makes it so that people who purchase firearms, licenses, tackle, archery, and similar gear, you're going to have a portion of those purchases be collected as excise taxes that are then collected by the Department of Interior into the Sport Wildlife Fund. And there's a more formal name to it. And then that fund is dispersed by the Fish and Wildlife Service, which is also under the umbrella of Department of Interior to the 50 states based upon numbers of hunters, licenses, and other criteria. And so when According to most recent figures by the NSSF, I believe since the law went into effect, there have been over $14.1 billion collected to support conservation efforts, largely because of excise taxes collected on guns and ammunition. I've been told about 50 to 60% of that hails from guns and ammo, the rest from licenses and similar sporting equipment through excise taxes, under this umbrella of the law and, and all that. So I'm going to be explaining the history about that, how hunters and anglers play a role in that respect because of gun purchases. And especially in the most recent 18 months, we've seen a huge, huge surge in conservation funding when all of us were panicking and worried that hunting was kind of on the decline. A lot of people were very nervous when they're reporting about conservation funding lagging behind, being kind of in peril, and an odd, I would say result from the pandemic. There was only, I would say, one good thing to result from all this mess is that people rediscovered the outdoors, particularly hunting and fishing. And as a result, more people were spending money on licenses, on equipment, on guns and ammunition, especially because of just violence happening in cities. People unsure of police support in their communities and people just wanting to take ownership and matters into their own hands and protection into their own hands. So you saw a lot of people purchase guns and ammo. And as a result of that, there's a high demand, a lot of shortages, and there's a lot of backlog with respect to that. And a lot of those monies, And that's why earlier this year, the Fish and Wildlife Service and Department of Interior announced that $1.1 billion from the last year were accrued to go back to the states, the 50 states, for hunter's education habitat restoration and wildlife conservation efforts. A lot of money generated because of these purchases. So that's largely what I'm going to be focusing on and answering questions that the students may have about this law, the connection between guns and the environment, which is very well-documented as I've just previewed here now. And I think it should be well-received. I'm not anticipating being protested. I'm pretty academic when I deliver lectures and I try to be funny and informative. So there's really nothing to protest unless you really revile guns and just are very opposed to hunting, but I don't think we're going to have that. So I'm looking forward to that and talking to the students and and enjoying a little bit of Texas away from election day. That'll be at 7 PM central time. So eight o'clock Eastern. So I will let you know if we are able to broadcast it. Thank you to Young Voices also, which is where I have my contributorship to for arranging this. And then also my former workplace leadership Institute for making this speech possible. And also Lindy and her YAF chapter for hosting me. So thank you all for the support. And okay, something I forgot to talk about But it just had been ruled, and I wrote a column about this at the Washington Examiner about how President Biden's administration is not following the science on wolf hunting. And after I submitted that article through my Young Voices contributorship, I saw that the judge handed down on October 22nd in Wisconsin. This is according to the Associated Press. Dane County Circuit Judge Jacob Frost issued a temporary injunction halting the season, which was set to begin November 6th. The order came as part of a lawsuit that a coalition of wildlife advocacy groups—they're preservationist groups, don't call them wildlife advocacy groups—filed in August seeking to stop the hunt and invalidate a state law authorizing annual seasons. Among other things, the coalition urged that the season is illegal because the Department of Natural Resources hasn't updated its regulations setting up season parameters and has been relying on an emergency rule— Put into place after then Governor Scott Walker signed a law in 2012 authorizing annual seasons and a wolf management plan that hasn't been updated since 2007. The judge said that the law creating the wolf season is constitutional on its face, but that the DNR failed to create permanent regulations enacting it. The law gives the DNR great leeway in setting kill limits hunting, zone hours, and the number of licenses making it all the more important that the department following the regulatory process to ensure it doesn't violate the separation of powers between the legislative and executive branches, Frost said. He added, I'm not overruling the wolf hunt law. In fact, I'm saying it has to be enforced as it was written and intended, Frost said. The DNR is currently not following the law or following the constitution. Its decisions are built on a faulty basis, meaning they can't stand either." The judge said the injunction will remain in place until the DNR implements updated regulations on determining quotas and the number of licenses it issues and updates its wolf management plan with the new wolf population goals of the state. That's really odd because when I was reporting about this and on the DNR website looking for statistics about the wolf hunt, maybe I am perceptive and I look to read the details, but according to an October Fourth update from Wisconsin DNR. They listed out how many wolf tags they're going to be issuing. Maybe the judge didn't see those details or failed to look at those details. And they said, and here's from the DNR, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources today announced, and this was October 4th, that the statewide quota for the fall wolf hunt has been set to 130 wolves. Is that not clear to the judge? This seems like this judge is taking a page, Judge Frost is taking a page out of Judge Christensen out of Montana, who leaned more so on emotional appeals rather than the science to prohibit the grizzly bear hunt to take place in fall 2018 out west. And that has created a lot of friction and problems and a lot more bear Mortalities because of a lack of a hunt occurring. So game officers are having to kill more bears rather than having a hunt in place that would have actually culled fewer bears if it were to take place. This guy, this judge is a little different, but I still feel he's leaning on emotion. And the DNR says this also, state licensed hunters and trappers will be authorized to harvest 74 wolves within six zones established in the department's regulation. The department will also honor the Ojibwe tribe's treaty right with the ceded territory of 56 the department will use a license ratio of five to one to offer the opportunity to 370 successful applicants to purchase a state wolf license the department plans to notify successful applicants on october 25th at which point licenses will also go on sale and they say that dnr is currently updating wolf management plan with input from the wolf management plan committee the department will continue working towards a completing a 10 year wolf management plan to guide management decisions beginning in 20 20- 22, yet the judge put an injunction on the wolf hunt on October 22nd. So it has created conundrum in Wisconsin and we'll continue to follow that. But again, I think these are just activist judges who are being forced into deciding wildlife management issues when they themselves are not involved in the process because they're hearing from groups like NRDC, Center for Biological Diversity, Humane Society, and others who oppose hunting as a management tool. That's why they're doing this. And they're infringing on wildlife management from taking place, a highly regulated hunt for wolves to proceed. And it may, like I said, I just read for you from the DNR website, it's pretty clear how many will be harvested. I don't know why the judge failed to acknowledge that. I just think this is going to lead to more conflicts. Groups like this using sue and settle, abusing the EAJA to achieve their means to interfere with wildlife management efforts because they're so repulsed by a management hunt that will take place, and they're not really doing anything to bolster the wolves. They just collect money. We don't know where those monies go to. You never see how that is happening how that has helped. They want to hinder the Endangered Species Act from working as intended. That's what I talked about in my Washington Examiner piece. And they say under Section 4 of the law that once a species has fully recovered, as the gray wolf was determined to be recovered under both Republican and Democratic administrations, if you're not carrying out the law, you're interfering with science, and these people love to talk about being for science, they're they're based in science, but they don't like to follow the science on gray wolves, and that was something I largely focused on in this column, and that's what I'm seeing playing out with this judge's ruling, too, largely, and we need to hear from people in Wisconsin. I think they know what's best. They are faithfully and carefully executing this hunt, but now that there's an injunction, they won't be able to, but I think they should be trusted- as local stakeholders who are familiar with the wolves and interacting with them, what to do. And I don't think uh, these activist groups should be trying to interfere in the process. And it's so frustrating. And the fact that we're not seeing true conservation play out and it's getting stalled by efforts like this, it's, it's disconcerting. And so I don't know what remedy there's going to be hunting organizations, other true conservationists have to band together to repel this. And I hope the Wisconsin DNR is able to carry out the hunt because if there's no hunt, there's going to be a lot of conflicts, wolf-human conflicts, wolf-ungulate conflicts. And I think people just don't take into account that wolves reproduce really quickly very successfully. They're really resilient. And if there's no management system in place, nature takes its course and it leads to chaos. I think that's what is being missed in this discussion. So we will keep tabs on the wolf hunt in Wisconsin about delisting efforts and just check out my article if you want more context. Something more lighthearted and really cool. And this is from a... This is from a local news site, WHAS11 in Kentucky, probably, I think, outside of Louisville in the market there. And it's titled, Louisville Company Names New Species of Kentucky Crayfish. The species named Mo Wild is considered endangered, having only been seen in parts of Jefferson, Billet, and Meade counties. After historic bid at the 2020 Kentucky Wild Auction, Go Wild Alpha, and you guys have heard from Brad Latrell here on the podcast before, and he's someone I've known for a few years, also a fellow board member of Poma. And his tech company has been really neat trying to tap into the outdoor market, especially in wake of censorship concerns. And they've really built a great thing. I recommend you join. It's free to join, accessible through your mobile phone or your desktop. And... They won naming rights for a newly discovered crayfish species as the top bidder. It was recently announced that the Louisville-based outdoors company selected Mo Wild as the official common name of the species. And one of the Kentucky Game and Fish representatives said, quote, I can't think of a better partner in this effort than the folks of Go Wild. He said... The Mo Wild crayfish species discovered by Couch in 2006 is considered endangered and has only been found in streams and parts of three counties. While Kentucky Fish and Wildlife will determine the species' scientific name, this was the first time in Kentucky history that the naming rights to a state-native species became available for public bid. Quote, conservation is important to our company, and this was a really fun way to support those who are protecting our wildlands and wildlife, while also raising awareness of the platform, said Go Wild Alpha CEO Brad Luttrell. Our mission is to unload the gate to the outdoors. In other words, we want to make everyone a little Mo Wild. Go Wild was formed in 2017 and hosts a social media platform geared towards connecting outdoor enthusiasts and sharing their experiences. And I think this is the first time Brad had said on LinkedIn that a tech company has had the naming rights to a species. So pretty cool for them to do this. If you wanted a little positive story to end, you're listening to the podcast podcast. To end this episode, a great way to end the episode, something positive and kind of cool for conservation with the intersection of tech and wildlife conservation. This is the story to to end, I think, today's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me, so engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for tomorrow's episode.